All right, guys. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to be with you, as always. And, you know, today I'm really excited about this episode because this is a repeat guest, um, somebody who is just incredibly knowledgeable about Western hunting and gear and just a wealth of information. Um, you know, the first episode I did with him did really well. And this one we dig into more specifics about uh, about deer hunting, mule deer specifically. Um, but it's just a great episode. Anytime you get a chance to talk with my guest today, who is Robbie Denning. Um, anytime you get a chance to talk with Robbie, it's going to be a great conversation. He's just an awesome guy. He's got a new book coming out where he talks or he tells all the stories of all the great bucks that he's killed over the years. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And as well as some other really good contributing authors that he had uh, in this book that you know share the stories of of their big mule deer hunts so um be on the lookout for that new book and um you know robbie's just like i said he's just full of life he's a great guy he's a believer he loves killing big mule deer and um we talk about i got actually two mule deer tags uh this year i got the montana general deer tag and then i have another deer tag in idaho as well so I'm really hoping that, Lord willing, this year I will be able to notch the tag on my first mule deer, maybe even two mule deer. That would just be a huge blessing. So, um, you know, I wanted to dig in a little bit on that, and there's nobody better to talk to about killing big mule deer than Robbie Denning. So enjoy this episode, guys, and we'll see you on the next one. Right, so I'm here, joined for the second time by Mr. Robbie Denning. How you doing, man? Morning, good. <laughs> it's good to uh, it's good to hear you, man. Um, I gotta say, I think you're my earliest rising podcast guest. I've never had anybody request 6 a.m. Uh, start time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. If I get too later in the morning, I mean, it's not that I can't adjust work or anything. It just it's just too crazy. It's just too hard to catch up the rest of the day. So this yeah. is the best best part of the day anyways, I think. I'm with you, man. I've always been an early riser, and I like getting up and getting stuff going. And um, It's tough, though, because my wife, she likes to stay up late and likes mm-hmm. to you know, sleep late. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know she wants to spend time with me, so she wants me to hang out with her late, but then I want to get up early, so <laughs> I end up suffering. We have the same dynamic here. It's yeah. the, it's the same thing. <laughs> have you been able to work it out, or are you just? Oh just, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I spent lots of time with my wife, my favorite human. But but yeah, you know, I mean, at, at eight thirty, nine o'clock, I'm over there drifting off in the chair, and she's like, "You're not going to watch this show with me?" <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, baby, I just yeah. am not built for it. And you know, it's not like I get up at four or anything like that, you know. Yeah. But you know, this time of year six you know seven's late you know that feels like the day's gone if i sleep till seven so and then as we get into the summer man i i'm more like you know five five thirty and stuff so yeah well cool man um so yeah i know you got a lot going on too we were just talking off the air about it but um um how was uh how was your last season man uh it was it was good it was a good year lots of lots of um uh, lots of hunting days. I did not punch a tag. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I don't know if you listen to Jordan's podcast, but um, I, I, I lost. Well, I heard. Big, uh, I didn't hear the podcast, but I did hear that you had a little bit of a rough year. Yep, yep. I had it. Well, it was a great year, 
but I did lose a big buck last year. Oh, man. And that was a heartbreaker. But we found him again. I, I so I, I I hit him during archery season and did not know what happened. I thought mm. I hit him really good. And um, you know, stayed stayed a week. Shot him on a Monday. I guess I stayed five days. I and I stayed five more days and I could not turn him up, but I followed his blood trail out to where he, he quit bleeding. And then he got in with some other bucks, mm-hmm. um, buck tracks. And so I, and it was a pretty wide open sagebrush slope. And I don't know, of course I'm thinking the worst that, Oh man, I lost him and he's, he's just going to go to waste and you know, all that yeah. stuff. And, but you know, I was, I was talking to my dad a lot, even while I was tracking him, like on the track, like calling my dad because because I'm colorblind, so blood is really hard for me to see oh, when really? it dries out. Yeah, so I was literally having to take pictures of the blood and like you know, and then it was down to just little specks and like, mm-hmm. okay, dad, is this is this blood or is this less a, a blood looks brown to me once it's dry? Mm-hmm. This is a brown spot on a rock. He's like, no, you're on it. But but anyways, my point is is. He, he, he slowed down so much on bleeding. My dad was like, I think that buck made it. He says, I don't, I think he hit him too far back. And, um, I didn't see him for that five days. You know, of course it's, it's quite a ways back in there on a horse. You don't just run back up the next week and look right. for him. But I stayed long enough and the weather was hot that if there would have been birds on him, I should have seen him. Yeah. So didn't. And then went back in October for the rifle season and bam, opening morning. There he was. Oh, no way. And, um, uh, yeah, I was with, uh, with my friend, uh, uh Travis Hobbs and Tra- Travis spotted him. Um, so I let him shoot first and, and then he missed. Um, and so the buck, <laughs> that deer's got nine lives, there, doesn't dude. he? He does. He does. But the great thing about it, dude, is, um, uh, I, I, I was the spotter. And, uh, so I got to look at him through the through the spot and scope for you know 20 30 seconds after he got up out of his bed because mm-hmm. we, when we'd spotted him he'd laid down and by 10 travis was ready to shoot he couldn't see him and i could see right where i hit him and my dad was right just it almost looked like back high lung is what it looked like you hmm. could see you could see a like a, a soft or a tennis ball sized and a dirty spot on hmm. his on his side, on his right side where I shot him. And, um, you know, and I'm sure that was it. And, uh, just, just a little high and far back. So, but anyways, it was all good, dude. I mean, the buck is alive. I mean, that's That's just buck hunting. You get spanked way more often (laughs) than you get one way more often, you know, especially bow hunting. I mean, that just happens. You know, if you bow hunt long enough, it's going to happen to everybody. Yep. Oh heck. I've lost him with a rifle seven mag, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, they don't give you a lot of time and, um, but it, it was all good. It was all good. And then, um, uh, hunted Colorado last year too, did not pull the trigger, but, um, had a couple of really nice bucks that, uh, me and Scotty Thompson were, um, it, it was on a migration hunt. So you could, you, you could spot the bucks, but yeah. it was really hard to stalk them. You know, it's just that kind of a place, but, uh, but yeah. we had a good time. So, so I'm interested because, um, I've missed big bucks before I've lost bucks before. And, um, I just came off a hunt where I, um, came close to filling a tag, but didn't. Um, and you, you know, I think you're a really positive guy and you got a really good attitude. So I know maybe it's just, maybe it's just you or maybe it's, it's, uh, experience and time, but does that, does that, um, stinging pain of, 
of losing a deer or, um, you know, even coming home on a close call and not filling your tag, does that wear off over time or is, is that just a personality thing? Well, I just kind of <laughs> learned if you're, if you're going to dabble in big deer, you, you can't get down in the mouth about it. It's, it's going to be hard if, it, if it, it's part of what's attractive about it. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to get kicked in the crotch a lot and right. it's just how it is. And I, I've, I, I, I just kind of learned that if I'm going to do this, I, I can't get down. I, I gotta, I got, if st- stuff's going to happen, I just got to get back up and try again, or I'm going to quit. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to mm. end up quitting if, if, and, 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 and I love it too much. It's, it, it's enjoyable. And because of the ups and downs, when it does come together, man, it's right yeah. up there in the top three, three or four things of life that can happen to you. It's awesome. Yeah, um, for but, sure. But man. yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I've seen a lot of guys quit. There's a lot of guys down in the mouth about mule deer hunting right now. Always has been just so you know, even when it was good, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it's not, even when it was good, it was not easy. And, uh, and so I've just, I, you know, and I, it's not that I haven't, you know, got down about it before I have, but that's what I've kind of learned is, you know, what are you going to do? you know, cry about it. No, you, you just got to get up and keep going, you know, yeah. and, and I, and I haven't punched a tag in two years. That's the longest slump since 97. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot worse things that could happen than oh, that. Yeah. And, and, and just the, the amount of experience in that two years, it, it, geez, it's, 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 it's inexplainable how much experience you get when you don't, punch tags when you punch yeah. tag you're done you're home running the remote you know you that's true. you ain't learning a thing about deer hunting yeah but you know when when you have to keep at it and keep pushing and and keep trying and go back and you know and, and do i went back and hunted that buck i mean that's like way back in on a horse i didn't even know if he was alive you know i, I was still like no i'm going and man yeah. there he was and and he was only like 700 yards from where i shot him hmm. you know and just just one more thing i've i, I another tool in my toolbox for the future that even, even when you wound them, they want to come back. Hmm. Yeah. If they can, they want to come back. Yeah. That's so true. You know, um, I think you're right. I think when you, well, first of all, when you, like you said, it wouldn't be as enjoyable and as as fun and as cool if you just went out every time and filled your tag. Mm -hmm. Um, and also I think you're right. I think when you, when you come out of there with a big deer or a bear or whatever it may be, um, that's kind of your mind is just, yep, got it, got them done. You don't really analyze it as much and pick it apart and realize like, what well, did this right? I did this wrong. This is what I do different. You're kind of just like overwhelmed by yeah. success. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. interesting. Cause I've definitely been as <laughs> driving home from this bear hunt. I was definitely, um, you know, analyzing and scrutinizing everything like that. But any, uh, like specific lessons you learned from this year or even this last two years of, uh, having a slump? Uh, yeah, stand out? Just, just keep trusting God. He's going to deliver. He delivers in the pinch every time. And, and, and part of this is a test of my faith because you, you know, you hear me say that I, you know, I, I love big buck hunting, but I love the Lord and <laughs> I, I'm not going to put big buck hunting above him yeah. and, you know, he can give and he can take away. And, and, and I would be a little bit selfish and a little bit spoiled if I, if I got down about this. And so, yeah, dude, that's what I've For learned sure. is that this is a test. And I just need, I just need to keep going. Um, you know, as far as, you know, the, the physical part of it, um, just, I'm always, I'm always reaffirmed that 
it's always reaffirmed to me that you can be where a big buck is and you may not see him. Um, Mm -hmm. because if he's big, he's older, he's four, five, six, seven, eight years old, and he is surviving there for a reason. He can get away from people and, um, you may not see him every time you go. In fact, you probably won't see him, especially after velvet rub. Um, and, and so you can't give up on a place too fast. And, and that's, that's the dilemma is, you know, you could, you could, I've written about it before. You can be too patient of a hunter because mm. if they're not around, it, it doesn't matter how patient you are. You can be as patient as a rock. If you're not, if they're not around, there's nothing you can do about it. They're not, right. you know, you can't, you can't invent a deer out of the, out of the dirt, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's always the dilemma. But so that's one thing, just the last couple of years. I'm like, you know, if I, if I'm in a good area, if, 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 if I'm here on purpose, and there's a reason. And even if I'm not seeing them, I just need to keep, keep at it until I'm absolutely sure there's no chance here Yeah. before I move. And so, um, you know, when I was younger, I jumped, I jumped around a lot more, but you know, deer hunting was better then. you could, you could get away with that hmm. where now it's a little bit tougher. So you, you know, you, everything counts, you know, <laughs> everything yeah. has to be intentional. So, um, uh, well, I, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to go too deep into this, but you're saying, you know, the deer hunting's not quite as good now. Is that just more hunters, less deer? No, or? no, no, dude, this whole more hunter thing, dude. It, it, what is it? Less habitat? What's what? Why is it? Winter kill, winter kill right now yeah. is what it is. The whole hunter, the whole hunter thing. Yeah. Draw, there's more hunters applying for tags. Tags are harder to get. That's one of the things that's harder. But at the end of the day, the number of the hunters in the field, that's ebbed and flowed for many years. And, you know, you get, you get peaks and you get valleys, but overall, most of the states are reporting uh, like, like, like Wyoming um, overall, the number of deer hunters, dude, it's, it's not up. And on Idaho, we've had a big influx of people move in. So the numbers are still in, in question just a little bit, Mm -hmm. but as far as number of deer tags sold in Idaho, it's been pretty flat too. Uh, But what's harder now is that um, they put all the non-resident tags on a cap and they Mm -hmm. did reduce the number of them. So there, you know, there are, are less tags there, but as far as that's not what's driving the deer population because we could make up for that many tags that they reduced just in the residence. Right. moving in and so no dude it's winter kill we, winter we kill. had oh. a 16 17 winter handed us our butts on a plate mm. and it took it always takes a couple years for everybody to realize what happened including fish and game i've been through this many times and um and and so that that winter of 16 17 especially in idaho and and wyoming that really hurt us set us back a lot and it's healing up now it, it's it's better than it was but you know you go three or four years without out that age class of bucks in there you know it's it's gonna hmm. it's gonna show up it's yeah. gonna it's gonna hurt people and so i think that's a lot of it and then you mix it in with you know it's a little harder to get tags now um because you know the draws are just crazy you know mm-hmm. just so many people applying that weren't applying 20 years ago um be- because there was a lot of otc hunting you know they didn't have to apply people didn't think about it as much where right. you know if you're a non-resident now you know there's almost no otc hunting unless you're picking up a leftover or something like that so it just changed but you know again it's part of what i was talking about before i can't be down in the mouth about it 
Right. You know, I, I, I'm listening to guys, my gosh, I'm thinking I would never go deer hunting if I thought like you thought, you know, the whole, the whole <laughs> sky is falling there's no deer left. All it is, is people, people, people. And, and I'm thinking that's not what I see. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the, where I hunted last year and all the places I went, Colorado was kind of busy, but it's, it's a roaded area. It's a migration hunt. You see all the hunters are kind of one in one place. I knew that dude, I still saw two bucks over 180. Um, nice. you know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't I, like all that negativity stuff too, man. I mean, I don't want to say that, that, that deer hunting is awesome and it's as good as it ever was. I'm not saying that either. It, it definitely has been impacted. And, and you had mentioned something a minute ago as a habitat, you know, well, 16 was another peak in, in deer numbers. Like it always is when we get mild winters for five, six, seven, eight years. That, that's mm-hmm. what I mean. Mule deer in most habitats are driven by winter. And so in the Wyoming range, I, th- I think their, uh, their objective is like 40,000 deer in the Wyoming range. I'm just pulling, pulling it out of my memory here. I could be off a few thousand mm-hmm. that that's kind of their objective. And, um, in 16, 14, 15, and 16, very favorable years for mule deer. They were bumping up against that, like maybe 37, 38,000. But even before the hard winter came, and you see this in mule deer herds, that the numbers started to decline in that population before that hard winter came. And you Mm. see this happen when deer start reaching their carrying capacity, that um, um, the the population will start shrinking for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, Number one, there's just natural mortality every single year Mm -hmm. besides hunting. And so um, if you're not replacing those deer with fawns, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to flatten out or you're going to decrease. And what we saw in 15, 16, these mule deer managers that I've talked to is that the, these does were not, not twinning as much. So they weren't having twins. Um, some does were not having, uh, a fawn mm. and that, so that replacement, that recruitment is not there. And you see that population kind of level off or even start to decline. And so when they saw that in the Wyoming range and in, in 16, they, they were like, this isn't, this is indicative that that we are at the carrying capacity of the range gotcha. and, you know, winter range, everything all put together, you know? And so that obviously they did not hit objective and we used to be able to, you know, you used to be able to get you know, in the nineties and the eighties, you know, hit those kind of numbers. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's probably a factor in it, you know, and, 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 you know, development of winter range, the, the anticline where they've got all the, gas wells out there is where the deer winter, you know, yeah. that's had an impact on them. You know, obviously, you know, there's things going against them, but we're still just talking about a few thousand deer yeah. out of, you know, 40,000. It's not, again, it's not like the sky is falling. And, and, and now that we're back into kind of some favorable winters again, sure enough, I'm looking at the numbers of those deer, man, they're right back on the climb again. Yeah, You know, and, 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 and I've good. seen that with, with a lot of places like, you know, Colorado, a lot of people don't remember how, bad Colorado was in the nineties. It was terrible after that winter in 92, 93, it was mm-hmm. bad. And, and, and then when they went to limited licenses in 99 and, um, you know, it still gave thousands and thousands of licenses, but they ended OTC so they could kind of manage each herd, right. um, 
under, uh, you know, as it should be rather than mixed in with other herds, dude, that deer herd re- rebounded so quickly nice. and, um, and anywhere that they're managed, you know, they usually do, they usually do pretty good. And so, yeah. you know, I kind of take all that into, into consideration too, but, but yeah, it's not 1980 anymore, you know, not, nothing <laughs> yeah. I can do about that. Yeah. Well, at least, at least guys like me don't know what it was like. We can just, we can just you know, have our baseline as it is now and hopefully get some good hunts. And good thing about me is also just kind of starting out on mule deer. Like I'm not too worried about wrapped up in numbers and, you know, mm-hmm. huge right. deer and stuff like that. So it's almost like I get to start from scratch, but, um, so oh, yeah, you're in a good place, dude. And, yeah. you know, like right now, you know, like I said, we're healing up from that winter, you know, I'm seeing lots of bucks in the you know, two to four year old range, you know, nice bucks coming up. I mean, it's, it, it, it I think it'll be, a, it, you know, depend on what area you're in. Every place right. is a little bit different and everything, but, but no, it's, it's, it, it I think, I think people are going to be pretty happy this year. And I keep referencing Wyoming because it's just like 60 miles from me. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, some of the same, it's not the same deer herd, but the same, um, climate and everything. So, you know, it, it's yeah. pretty representative of, of a lot of what's, you know, kind of maybe the South of the salmon river, uh, down in Idaho, you know, maybe Northern Nevada, you know, the Elko units and, you know, Northern Utah, we we kind of all experience about the same thing at the same time, usually because yeah. we get the same weather and we have the same, the same right. habitat. And so, so no, you dude, you should be, you should be in good shape. Um, you know, as long as you're in an area with deer and, you know, it's not brand new to you and you don't end up on the wrong ridge for a week and there's no deer there, you know, because you, you may come home and say, wow, Robbie's right. There was no deer. It sucks. And, you know, and, and, but it could just be just in the wrong spot. You know, that, that happens to me too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, this, this year is kind of the year of the mule deer for me. That was kind of my goal. I've been kind of, um, I don't know. I love deer. Uh, you know, I grew up whitetail hunting. So, um, for some reason, I don't know. I kind of wanted to attack mule deer before I kind of turned my gaze to elk maybe, or for whatever reason, I just like deer. So, mm-hmm. um, I decided like this year and I, you know, I play in the long game with my draw strategies and stuff like that. So I intentionally am putting off, um, chasing after elk, um, but I, like I said to you earlier, I got two, um, two deer tags this year, um, mm-hmm. one in Idaho. Um, and you know, that, you know, generally the area I'm going, so you kind of have an idea of the, um, the mm-hmm. terrain and stuff like that. And then, and then I have a, uh, I drew a Montana general tag. So that Idaho one will be in late October. So last week of October. Um, and then, you know, Montana will be going mid I'm going to go as close as I can to Thanksgiving. Then I got to, you know, get home for Thanksgiving, but kind of that mid to late October timeframe. So, or November, you mean November? Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, like, have you, I'd love to hear just a little bit of advice maybe on both or if one jumps out to you, but have you done that? I'm sure you've probably, you've hunted Montana, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's that hunt kind of like? Well, it depends on what part of Montana you're in. You, you know, if you're in the mountainous country, it can be kind of hard to see deer. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that they're not there, but, you know, it's it's just, you know, up and down, lots of timber and stuff like that. If you're more out into the, you know, plains and breaks country, it can be a little easier to see deer. Um, it, it, if you're hunting um, public land, you know, the deer are typically younger in those places because there's just more turnover on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Montana's doing, like I said, kind of like all of us, they're healing up pretty, pretty good. 
And uh, so the guys I know that are that are hunting uh, Montana, especially just kind of the sagebrush type stuff, they're they're seeing a lot of bucks and and doing doing pretty well. But what you have going for you in Montana is that rut. Mm. And so when you're in Idaho, you're gonna you, you may not even see any rutting. It's going to be happening or very close to happening by late October, um, typically by the Halloween. Um, you know, I'm I'm at least seeing bucks with the does right at right at first light if i know where mm-hmm. does are there's almost always a, a buck around them and and you know I, I don't think it just starts like with the small bucks i, I think the big bucks i think there's just like when i've elk hunted dude the big bulls are you know they're in with the cows first if there's mm-hmm. a big bull around you may only see small bulls with the cows because there's a lot of small bulls it's the same dynamic with with mule deer there's a lot of small bucks and so sometimes you know it's the before the rut really gets going it's like oh it's just the little bucks rutting but that's that's not the case it's just there's a lot of little bucks mm-hmm. i've seen some of the biggest bucks like bucks i've scouted first right into the does you know they know what that smell is they know they know what's going on they're not gonna let the little bucks um, uh, get in there first and so but the challenge of hunting late october is there's still not a lot of rod activity and even if Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of does and estrus that's just really what's driving it but there's a few coming in and 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 as soon as soon as they start to come in it's kind of like a fly hatch going off on the river you know those those fish are keying in on that they know what's going on but there's not a lot of flies not a lot of bugs yet so it doesn't seem like there's a lot of activity but boy you know one one bug gets on the water he's on you know if there's Mm -hmm. a fish there it's the same with a hot doe you know if one comes in there's gonna there's gonna be a buck around and i'm talking probably like last year the rut was early it really it's the earliest i've ever seen it start you know probably around the 20th 22nd of october right around mm-hmm. in there i was seeing seeing you know good bucks in with those or friends were seeing them mm-hmm. um but i you know i saw a very large buck tried to kill him on october 24th right in the does no different than november 15th um so it can happen but it's typically after that 25th 26th 27th 28th 29th right around in there um i'm I'm really paying attention to does i won't just camp on them but you know if they're if i get up in the morning it's like hey there was there was you know a herd of does up on this ridge yesterday i'm gonna i'm gonna get some glass on them or still hunt around them or something and and at least for a little bit and and that's kind of the challenge is how much time do i spend but i've kind of find during those dates that if a big buck is if i don't see one within the first kind of half hour of light i'll just go ahead and move and that's hard that's hard Mm -hmm. when you're looking at deer because like man should i move should i not should i move should i not um but it's not it's different like in by the time you're in montana you could be sitting there at 7 a.m. and well there's those but no buck and at 8 a.m. here comes corny head walking right into the herd you know he's mm-hmm. he's walked a thousand yards from the other drainage to come over there because he knew those does were there so in in that later part of october i'm pr- probably covering a little bit more ground okay. and um the challenge will be if you're in rough country it's hard to cover ground in rough country yeah that's that's the challenge yeah and so like where i was talking about where i was in colorado last year you know it was it was easy to cover ground because i could jump in the pickup and move and you know might have to walk 500 yards out to a to a rim and glass but you know it's mid-november i'm like okay not you know no bucks here this morning i'm gonna move where the very next morning there could be a big buck right right because they're cruising all around and just exactly so in that october time frame um are you focusing on you know other stuff like maybe food sources or even water or um or, you know, are you still, are you truly trying to hunt that buck in a specific way? Or are you still kind of, 
um, hunting the does and, and keep an eye on the does and stuff like that, or just a little combination of both as it compares to later in November? Um, so, you know, I'm just trying to think of it the way that you might be thinking of it is sometimes I'm, I've got a buck scouted and that changes everything. Right. So, you know, I'll, I'll stick to an area a lot longer if I've got a buck scouted, but if I'm just go, showing up to an area that I, you know, I, have, I haven't scouted it, or maybe there's been a, uh, the migration has started and the deer are just starting to show up. So I'm getting new deer. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, I, I guess I, I sort of pay attention to food sources, but I pay attention to food sources by where I'm finding the deer. Right. So I don't just go out and go, okay, this is, this is a, you know, big tooth maple. And so, okay, there's going to be deer here. No, I'm like, okay, there's deer here. Oh, and look, and they're in the big tooth maples. So <laughs> everywhere around here, I'm going to, I'm going to be glass. I'm going to be glassing and still hunting and ambush yeah. hunting in, in and around that stuff. And right. so, so, and a lot of guys I get asked a lot about plants and everything. And man, I don't know the names of the plants, but I always take, take, um, a, a little, uh, um, uh, relief in that, that Walt Prothero, one of the best big buck hunters out there, dude, he didn't know him either. And he always joked around. He's like, I oh, don't worry about it. The deer don't know the names of the plants either. So, <laughs> you know, I just have to, I just have to be able to kind of recognize the country that they're in and yeah. deer don't just eat one plant. That's the problem. Of course, you know, you can't just say, okay, well, you know, I'm looking for antelope bitter brush. Oh, flip. They'll, they'll be eating that and they'll be eating sagebrush and they'll be eating aspen and all these little herbs and forbs. And some of them may not even have names. You know, I mean, there's, there's dozens of plant types that they're going to be eating. And so, mm-hmm. so I, to, to answer your question, I'm not keying in on that as much. Um, that's kind of secondary to finding the deer and I'm right. finding the deer by, uh, by optics or looking at the ground. Those, those are the two two ways that I find the deer mm-hmm. because you know they're 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 not floating around out there they're leaving tracks and so um, you know if I can like where I was in Colorado last year we didn't have any snow but I was thinking man if it snowed here you know I could zip around in the truck a morning and probably get an idea of where at least three or four different deer herds are just by by what's going on on the ground you know yeah. if you if you can do that efficiently. Um, and, and you've got, you got good tracking snow and I'm not even necessarily talking about tracking the deer down itself, but kind of figure out areas that they're using, right. you know, where there's deer activity so that I can focus my efforts on that. Um, that, that, that's that, that I would do that. But if you're in, in that type of rough country that where you're headed, that's going to be harder. It's going to be more of an optics game because that's really the only way you can, you can cover ground. And mm-hmm. so you may be like, hey, okay, I, I've got to move but it's only going to be that I'm going to move so I can see a different place from a vantage point. So I might move out this ridge a mile and, and, and watching this drainage and, you know, and that time of year, you know, man, uh, any time of year, honestly, but especially that time of year, man, the more country I can see just the better chance I have of, of finding what I'm looking for. And um, so as long as I can verify the deer using it, you know, water. Yeah. You mentioned water. I don't pay that much attention to water because I don't live in an arid state mm-hmm. that, that, you know, you, you may talk to another mule deer hunter that says, Oh no, man, it's all about water. Well, some places it is, but sure. where you're going and especially that time of year, um, you know, it's not hot. They're not drinking regularly. They're getting a lot of the moisture from the plants. And, the, and if there's snow on the ground, you know, if there's snow on the ground. I mean, some of these deer I've watched on winter rains, there's no open water sources. There's nothing. And yet they're there all winter. 
So they, they've got to the be snow. just eating. They, there you go. They've got to be. That's what my horses do. I mean, when it's when 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 in the winter time, if we get a good snow, the the the, the horse trough doesn't even drop for five days. Hmm. And but if if we get cold weather and the snow is dry, you know, like you can't make a snowball out of it. Yeah. Suddenly they'll start drinking more water. Hmm. Um, but but anyways, the, uh, my whole point is is I'm not keying in on as water as much. And for, so I'm guessing where you're going, that'll kind of be the same. Yeah. I think that's the other thing you're going to find is the water is 3000 feet down the mountain. You know, it's down there in the yeah. river, and, you know, you're yeah. up on top. Um, and, and, and those won't be the only water sources, but you know, it's, sure. it's, it's pretty hard to just show up into a new area and know where all the water sources are is what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, the only time I'm ever really paying attention to water is when it's super hot. Mm-hmm. Um, there are little places, microclimates I've hunted in different States during archery season where water is key, but that time of year, I'm, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm looking for the deer and sure. the advantage of hunting late October to early November is now I don't just have to look for the bucks. I don't just have to find the bucks. If I find the does, I'm getting real close. That's the next best thing. Because even if the bucks aren't right in with the does, they're going to be close to the, closing they, in, you know, yeah. they're, yeah, they're not going to be far from them. I think that, um, you know, I think every night from the, basically the 25th of October on anywhere in the West bucks are breeding does after hmm. the 25th. And then the challenge is, 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 you know, getting enough does and estrus, which starts to happen after the first of November, that the bucks can't get it all done at night. And then you, you start seeing a, a lot of daytime encounters. Gotcha. So you're in that early or that late October time frame, um, less likely to camp on a group of does. Like you said, if you're mm-hmm. not seeing a buck in there, you might mm-hmm. be moving around, finding, you know, checking new country, looking for bucks in different areas. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. later in the November, mid to late November time frame, like you might spend a little more time on a group of does. Yeah. yeah. Especially That's if they're good. in secure cover, if they're secure does. And you can't be the freaking dumb ones down by the campground there that everybody's driving by. It can't be those does. Although yeah. that could happen, but that's not usually where the older bucks are going to show up. Yeah. Um, you know, they're going to be around secure does, does that are not, you know, easily visible, not getting um, any pressure. That's where the big bucks are going are to show up. Yeah. And so the gold, the gold standard is if I can have two or three of those groups that I can get to mm-hmm. in a morning, um, and it's, it's after, you know, it's getting to late, late October, last few days of October. Oh, my chance of seeing a good buck go, or goes way up. At least a mature buck goes way up. If I could, if I can get my eyeballs on them at the, at the times that they're moving. The other thing that, that, that it, it's kind of frustrating, but you know, it's gotta be the same for whitetail is you're deer i think they it's called crepuscular they, they yeah. move in the in the in the twilight hours that's, mm-hmm. that's typically when they move sometimes we think that you know only the middle of the night's when all their activity is but when they do kind of studies on them not necessarily it's at the it's at the um when when the light gets low that's mm-hmm. when they like to be out and so you know a lot of times it's that last half hour hour of the day and the and, and the first and so you've got all this time in between that is just it's so monotonous. It's so hard to find them then, you know, they're in the cover and, you know, and, and you know, I believe in hunting and all, all day and all that stuff, but sometimes it's just not productive. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm better off at making sure that I'm in the prime time, prime areas at the prime times. And that mm-hmm. sounds so flipping basic, but until people get out into mule deer country, especially people that have not been in mule deer country and realize 
just how flip and hard it is to move in rough country. Yeah. You know, especially you can in the look dark. at you, Yeah. Especially in the dark that, that sometimes my efforts are just like, if I'm getting up at two o'clock in the morning, it's three o'clock in the morning. I've done this many times. It's just so I can be somewhere when it counts. Right. And, and, and I may be done by 8 a.m. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, but I've just done it enough to know that, you know, if I don't get there at the time that they're up and let's just say I get there a half hour late and then I hunt all day, I have less chance of getting one <laughs> by hunting all day, even though that sounds so manly. Right. Yeah. Man, I hunted all day. I'm living <laughs> on bread crusts out here. You know, I didn't even drink any water, you know, whatever. <laughs> all that stuff that we do. I mean, yeah. and I'm not against hunting all day. I mean, but I'm just saying if you if you didn't get to where you need to be, Hunter, if you didn't get there, you you probably can't level the playing field by hunting all day. Do, do, yeah. do you see what I mean? No, that's you know, a really good. Hunting all day is awesome if you've got a chance during the day, if the deer are moving, if you know yeah. where they are, if you know where their bedding areas are. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that's a really good reminder. I mean, um, I think sometimes people might, like you said, they might um, – they might justify sleeping in a little bit or something or going back to camp a little early to say, well, I'm hunting all day, but really you'd mm-hmm. be better off prioritizing, really making sure you're in the spots and the best times. And then if you need to go back in the middle of the day and take a nap, you're better off doing that. That's how I do it. You know, yeah. the middle, middle, about the only time I for sure hunt all day is during the peak of the rut, right. November 10th on, you know, because, because it's productive to hunt all day does that make sense yeah for sure yeah so that's you know and other times of the year here and there for whatever sometimes i'll be out on the mountain all day you know never going back to camp you know that that does happen Mm -hmm. um but i know as i get to the peak of the rut wow it's it's actually going to pay off by being out here because anything can happen especially you know as you get get past the 10th of November, closer to the 20th, you know, they're just going crazy. You know, if you, sure. if you can find those during the day, there's the, you know, the bucks are, are, are going to be around there. there. There could be a chance he's up at, you know, 1130 in the morning, full sunlight mm-hmm. chasing those. Yeah. So, um, for this, uh, Montana hunt, I'm probably going to be, uh, more on the Eastern side of the state, you know, more of the, um, mm-hmm rolling sage brush type areas and stuff like that um i don't i'm trying to like be vague but also ask specific no, questions it's here. all right everybody knows yeah um <laughs> uh, I, I but i know what you mean montana is yeah. kind of divided with the with the western half of non uh, montana being being the, the you know the mountain ranges you right. know, stuff up against idaho it's you know classic you know timber low mm-hmm. maybe a little above timberline high you yeah. know, um, they, if you're hunting late enough, the deer sometimes can migrate down into the sagebrush. But you get into the eastern half of Montana, it's all break country and yeah. um, sage and, you know, stuff like that. A lot more open country yeah. is the way I so, think of it. Yeah. So I'll be in that kind of stuff. Um, I'm curious about, like, I mean, I'm obviously would be happy to have any kind of, you know, deer tips and stuff like that too but also more just kind of logistically in terms of do you have any tips in terms of um gear or like you know getting away from people um or even one thing i was wondering about was water because i know water can be a big issue in there and you know trying to go in for multiple days in order to get away from people uh, do you have any experience with that kind of stuff 
Oh yeah. Tons. Um, so the, uh, have you ever been to where you're going hunting? I've only driven through. Okay, never spent so any time there. So you don't, luckily have, I'll have are, some, are you going? I probably will be with some other guys that, um, either I'm either going to be sharing a base camp with some other guys like Mark Livesey and Brian and Ryan and those guys, mm-hmm. or I'm going to be like Mark said, if we do split off, he would kind of give me some areas to check out. So I'll have a little bit of local or semi-local knowledge. Yeah, that's what you need. Um, because that changes everything because if you go out there and all you've done is Google earth and talk to the biologist, which is great. You should, you have to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. You still have the challenge of figuring out in a massive amount of country. And, and if it's public land, it's all open. So in a way that makes it harder because mm-hmm. now, now it's like, well, should I go here? Should I go there? You know? And, um, so if you, if you've got some local knowledge and some help that like, look, this is where deer traditionally are, you know, these, these, these two canyons and this little Mesa right here, you know, and even though there's all these other, this other country just West of there, there's just not that many deer over there. Then that that's huge. That just narrows everything yeah. down because, you know, talking to my, my, my friends that hunt in the East, there's a book you should read. There's a guy, his name is, um, uh, Daniel Brannigan. I just reviewed it on my blog last summer. It's called, so you want to hunt the West for mule deer. Um, that you, you should read that because okay. he broke it. He did a good job breaking it down on what it's like for an Eastern hunter coming West. Mm. And, um, he, he, he brought up a point. I've mentioned this on a couple other podcasts, but this applies to what you're talking about is that the challenge in coming to the West for an Eastern hunter is the deer are not as evenly distributed as Eastern whitetail. Mm. So, yeah, you know, whether it's big woods, um, uh, North stuff, uh, Northeast stuff, or if it's, you know, Midwest <laughs> stuff, you know, his point was the deer are kind of more evenly distributed. You know, if there's 20 deer per square mile here, the next square mile is not going to be a lot different, you know, right. You know, roughly, you know, if it's a deer type area, it's like you almost no, like, okay, there's deer in there. Exactly. He said, yeah, you can come to the West and there can be massive amounts of country square mile after square mile of square mile. that doesn't look really any different than anywhere else, but there's no deer. Interesting. And he yeah. said, and, and this could be to do with, you know, maybe, maybe there's never deer there or because our mule deer are so transitionary depending on, the, the time of the year because they migrate, you know, most of our mule deer, herd, mule deer herds have some type of migration component to them yeah. that, that they're using the different parts of the country in different parts of the year. So there might not be any deer there now, but in two weeks there could be more. And, yeah. and, you know, of course I, I should have known all that, but until he said it, I thought, okay, that's the challenge right there. He's right. Because yeah. when you live out here, you have the advantage of just spending years in it. And after a while, you're just like, oh yeah, don't go there. There's right. no deer there. I mean, yeah. the deer aren't even there until, you know, November yet. I know guys that are going there. I'm like, why are you going there? Yeah. And, um, uh, so, so that's going to be a little bit of your challenge. And that's why I, I was asking, uh, my first question was, you know, have you been there before? Because, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can just hit the ground on day one and someone said here and here, and you trust this person, then just go here and here. And, and just, you know, don't screw around. I mean, do what, do what I was saying is, you know, spend a lot more time there 
than you think, even if you're not seeing them just to make sure, you know, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just tracks on the ground that, yeah, there's no tracks. So there's no deer, but you know, have I covered enough of it to say there's no tracks? And have I, have I, have I glassed enough of it? And, and you know, glassing is the best technique, but it's not always possible. You know, mm-hmm. if it's not, if you don't have good vantage points, fog, I mean, a lot of guys are sitting back in camp playing cards when it's foggy and i'm like no the deer are up during the fog i just can't use my binoculars so if i can get out there where the deer have been i mean still hunting can be deadly in the fog you know because they're, they're just letting yeah. their guard down a little bit fog's mm. almost like evening to them a little bit i've seen that happen like they'll just get up in it and stuff and so um but 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 this is the challenge you can be doing everything right hunter everything you can be the best mule deer hunter on the planet. If you're in the wrong spot, you're gonna not going to get one. And, and so that's what your challenge is going to be is figuring out where to spend your time. And if those guys are willing to help you, I mean, those, you know, Ryan's in that group, dude. I mean, he knows that stuff, the, that, like the back of his hand, dude. He knows, he knows the folds where they're at. And, you know, oh, that's, yeah. where you, that's where you want to spend the time and, and, until you're absolutely sure that, hey, there's not a buck here that I'm happy with or the deer aren't here or, you know, something else. There, there, man, there's sure a lot of guys right here. You know, this is, this yeah. is tough. Can't really hunt on purpose. You know, I always want to go where I can hunt on purpose. You know, I don't want to be the guy sitting on the knob hoping somebody pushes something to me. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. Um, the, to, nothing in my favor. Um, and so um, that, that's what I'd be thinking about at that time of year. And because you're out in the more open country, um, vantage points are huge. And some of that stuff is so, so uh void of vantage points i mean you got to get creative you know you're getting on the roof of your truck you're climbing up on a windmill you know you know things like that because yeah. sometimes that's all you need is 30 feet of elevation and 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 you can look at a mile of country mm-hmm. that there's no other way to look at other than walking through it which is not as good because you can't see it all and a lot of times your shots are are not ideal because you're spooking deer yeah and um and so that's the the kind of techniques i would have right there as far as logistics if 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 it's a roaded area I use the roads to my advantage in that I can cover more ground if it's a roaded area. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I've only killed, I think one big buck my whole life from the road. Um, you gotta be ready for that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, um, you know, using the road system to be efficient, to Mm -hmm. get to your more likely areas, you know? So if there's a road system, I might be able to hit two, even maybe three decent spots in a morning, um, while the deer are up and moving where if there's not roads, maybe I can only do one spot a morning. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would be kind of thinking about that, but if, 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 if it's like, yeah, there's roads there, but you only got to have about a half a mile to a mile to, for bucks to get comfortable away from a road, mm-hmm. as long as it's, you know, as long as there's some cover and, yeah. Yes, rough country and stuff like that. So I'm, I, 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 one of my best, my best muzzleloader buck I've ever killed was in a spot like that where I'm just hunting little parcels, little places off the road that are not that far, but people are either driving by them or just not thinking about them mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And, um, and so then it's kind of a quasi I'm backpacking, but I'm sleeping in the tent and I can hear a truck over there at a mile. It's different than backpacking in the, <laughs> yeah. 
in the in the mountains you know what i mean right and so it still gets down dude to 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 you know where are the deer and where are those guys going to point you that's what it's going to get down to but um wherever i'm at on a on a cold hunt like that i have a great base camp i am not the freaking guy trying to be a badass crawling in my camper at 7 30 p.m my camper shell you know firing up the little buddy heater i can't even stand up you know and i'm mm-hmm. and you know i'm eating a freeze-dried meal i am not that guy no i've got a, a good <laughs> tent set up i've got good food i've got lanterns i've got good heaters and stuff like that because that's that's part of your hunt. You know, I'm, I'm going to save the survival stuff for when, okay, I can't get in there in the middle of the night. So I need to get in there in the evening and backpack and spend the night there so I can be there that, right at daylight. Yeah. That's what's what I save that stuff for. But you know, when, when, when I can have a base camp, I have a base camp is what I'm getting at, you know, as, as because that's, I mean, I was in Colorado last year, you know, nine days, two days longer than the season and, you know, hunted the both everything I hunt. I was hunting just as effectively the last few minutes of the last day as I was the first few minutes of the first day, you know, because I was prepared for that type of hunting. And you're not you're not necessarily going in and spending multiple days like miles back you're kind of, um, you got your base camp and then you might spike out for a night or two, um, if you need to be in an area early. Um, but are you, are you able to find areas that you can do that where you can still, um, like in Montana specifically get away from, um, pressure or at least have enough space to where you feel like you're not on top of people? Just depends on the day. I mean, you know, (laughs) um, where I killed that big buck in 2018, there's, always guys hunting there always dude i had that place to myself for four days Mm. of the opener and i and i killed one of the whitest bucks i've ever killed and nobody showed up i don't know where they were Hmm. and so that's part of just knowing your country well because there's been other times i've hunted that place and i'm gone by the afternoon of the opener because i'm like there's just too many people here i cannot hunt on purpose yeah you know i i'm just hoping someone runs something by me and i already told you that i don't want to be that guy i don't want to do that on purpose and so uh to answer your question yes and no some days it's gonna suck and it it it, it, that, that that's why that's why when i hear people that are like they go out and they hunt a couple of days and then they make this judgment on this hunt that this is how it was i'm never going back in fact i'm drafting a letter to the fishing game right now you know how bad they suck and i'm like you could go back to that place on a different year when the deer herd's in better shape or maybe just you you just happen to be there when you know, the, the yeah. guy that's hunted it for 20 years brought his cousins out from Iowa and they're all there. Right. You know, you go back five days later, you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and so, so it's hard to answer your question, dude, because I don't know the specific spot right. you're hunting and everything. But if you've got local knowledge, they're going to know that. They're going to say, yeah, dude, it's absolutely freaking crazy out here on Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. In fact, you know, let's go find a casino and, have a, have a good meal and play some cards, you know, maybe you're, maybe you are better off then. And, but you know, you get out there midweek, there's nobody around. Yeah. And, and so it's, that's part of the challenge of it, dude, is just being able to think on your feet and, 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 and just not giving up, 
You, yeah. Do you see what I mean? It's For like, sure. okay, well, I, I need to move. And, and, and I've been to this place twice now. It sucked every time. Great. I'm going to move over here. You know, and, and that, 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 like that area I was in Colorado last year is the first time I'd hunted it, but I was with Scotty Thompson. He's hunted it well. He shared the knowledge with me. And when this wasn't working out, I already had a backup plan. And by the time I, you know, I ended up hunting about three or four different areas. And sure enough, dude, I turned over two 180 bucks in that time in a mm. brand new unit I'd never been to. But, you know, I was there nine days. So that means um, seven of the days I didn't see any good bucks. And that's where, that's where the old me and that's where a lot of hunters I run into get tripped up of like seven days are you kidding me well <laughs> welcome to deer hunting that's yeah. how it can be but it could it can turn around in seconds yeah you know it can, sure. it can just turn around in seconds yeah um i i have heard it's it can be an issue if you are doing backcountry style um finding water in that country but you're yeah. probably bringing most of your water in huh yeah and and um you know that time of year um I mean, again, it's just all local knowledge, dude. Yeah. There may somebody may say, "Hey, dude, there is a spring on the backside of that hill right there, and it just—it's just a seep. You got to take a stick, dig it out in the evening, mm-hmm. and by morning you'll have clear water running, um, even in freezing temperatures. You know, there, there's there's a thousand dollar tip right there for you. Yeah. But yeah, if I don't know that, you bet I'm taking in I'm taking in water. I need that time of year a gallon a day, um, you know, and and and. Um, so if it's the kind of hunt, that's what I'm saying is, you know, maybe these guys know a place where, Hey, it's, even though there's a road every couple of miles here, there's a couple of places you can pack in, be between two roads for five days and never see another hunter. Then yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna have to figure that out and how to get more water in. But we already talked about this earlier. I, I usually in the middle of the day, I'm not, I'm not out anything to not be hunting. And right. a lot of times I'm just working on the logistics. I'm getting water, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, things like that. Um, um, so that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that, yeah. um, going back that, to what we were saying, you can like spend that, that time in the middle of the day to really prioritize and make sure you're really where you need to be when you need uh-huh. to be there in those crepuscular times. So exactly. And you're not sitting there thinking at 7 PM when the deer are just starting to come out, I have no water. I have <laughs> yeah. no water. You know, right. you can't be that, you know, you can't be thinking that. And that's yeah. why I was joking earlier that, Hey, you know, I hunted all day and, but yet, you know, I got I got to scoot out of here before it gets dark because of whatever. You know, yeah. you, they don't want to do that. You know, that stuff that stuff's going to happen naturally, even when you try to plan for it. There's going to be you're going to lose a few days here and there, stuff like that. But I've I've seen hunters and my younger self go into hunts like just completely unprepared for that stuff. You know, yeah. just just not even realize the logistics are what make the hunt a lot of times in mule deer hunting. It's mm-hmm. the logistics, you know, and so you got to have all that stuff work out for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to getting out there and um, hopefully, hopefully getting my first mule deer this year. So, but um, I got to ask, uh, I know you got a new book coming out, you mentioned. So I want to hear a little bit about that before we wrap up here. So um, what's, what's up with your new book? Okay. So, so I released hunting big mule deer, how to take the best buck of your life back in uh, 2015, which but awesome guys, book. Highly recommend thank it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, uh, <laughs> I appreciate you mentioning it. The, um, as soon as I was done with it though, you know, I still had more material that didn't go in there. And as guys read it, you know, I heard back from a lot of guys that they, they really liked the stories that were in it. Mm-hmm. And the, but the stories were kind of short. That was not a story book. That was, right. uh, that was Tactics. a how to book. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I mean, with, that thing covers everything, like all the way down to like, you know, practicing with your weapon and like gear and that thing really covers a lot of stuff. 
You bet. And so there wasn't a lot of room for stories in there, maybe anecdotal stories to prove yeah. a point where, um, as I heard from guys, how much they liked the stories, I thought, oh man, I can get you stories. I got yeah. tons of those. And so, yeah, because one of my favorite parts of the book is the story you open with about the uh-huh. one buck that was like the buck that set you on the path to like, you know, only hunting big, mature mule deer bucks this is an awesome story. We talked about it on the first podcast we did. Yeah. The, the, the one that started it all, that story's called. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, that was a story, you know, but, but again, it was, was, it was to make a point. And so, and you know, I did that story in a 1500 words, 2000 words, something like that, mm-hmm. um, where this book, I started on it not long after I published the other one mm. and it's pure story format, meaning that's what you're oh, reading. Cool. It's a storybook of mule deer hunting and it's not just the how to. So I did seven buck stories of bucks I've hunted, killed or bucks that got away. Nice. I actually did eight stories in there, including the last one, um, um, which covers the last two years. Cause there's always a story as we talked about, even when you're not getting a buck, there's always mm-hmm. a story. And so, um, they, it's those stories. And then, you know, I couldn't help myself at the end of every story. I put in just a little section called the takeaways, just, just oh, things cool. to make sure people didn't miss what was going on in the story. Yeah. Um, but then, um, I had, uh, I think nine contributing authors as well. So I have nine oh, other cool. stories in there as well as well randy ulmer um ryan lampers are kind of the two big names but dude lots of kind of guys that aren't super well known but are great buck hunters um jared bloomgren um travis hobbs um scotty thompson um Corey dixon just a lot of guys i've known you know locally or regionally that they you know they get it done Cool. And so I had all those guys submit stories too. Theirs are a little shorter. My stories are long, 5,000 to 12,000 words. Um, you know, mm. they, most of theirs are right around a couple of thousand words, but, uh, but dude, just, there's just so many takeaways in all yeah. these stories that you go through. And, um, uh, you know, Randy Ulmer's story is, is like nothing I've ever read from him. It's kind of his stream of thought during a, <laughs> during a long mule deer hunt that, and, and, and on a buck that most of us know about that he got, but you don't really know the backstory of it. So oh, cool. it's, it's really cool. And then at the end of the book, you know, I did put in a lot of, of just, just short tips and tactics, short articles I've done over the years, a few gear reviews, you know, but that's not the focus of the book. So yeah. this one is also called hunting big mule deer, but it's called the stories hunting big mule nice. deer, the stories. So, um, that's we're really in the cool, throes man. of getting it out right now. Um, hope to have it out by June. Um, I'll be at Ryan Lamper's Western hunting summit in oh, June. Cool. And I hope to have some complimentary copies for those guys that signed up for the summit. Nice. Um, but if I don't make that deadline, it should be shortly after that. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. I love it because, um, you know, stories, obviously hunting stories are like, you know, it's, it's as old as human civilization, you know, going on a hunt and telling a story and they're entertaining, but also like stories are how we learn a lot. You know, um, there's mm-hmm. like, you mentioned it, you know, there's this section about the takeaways, but you can learn so much from a story. And the thing about a story is, is it keeps you engaged and it keeps you excited and, and thinking about what's going on. Whereas, you know, I love the, the tips and tactics stuff too, but after a while, it's like you can only read so much of that before your eyes mm-hmm. start to glaze over a little bit just because mm-hmm. it's like information overload and just kind of like facts, facts, facts. But mm-hmm. when you got like a story arc to follow, uh, you can kind of get into it. And um, I actually think a lot, I think you can 
maybe even learn more um, from a story from a great hunt, you know? Yes. It'll stick in your mind longer. It will, yeah. you'll, you'll live that story. For and, sure. and I know this because when I was a young hunter, I lived and breathed those stories that I had read from Dwight Shue and Kurt Garner and yeah. Walter Thero and, you know, all those guys, you know, I, I would be in the woods living those stories and remembering things they said in that story that actually now made sense because I was experiencing something similar. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, even just like the Bible, I mean, it's not just a giant book of facts and rules and like procedures. It's a story. And that's why it it helps us to resonate with it. You know, the greatest story ever told. That's right, man. Um, So uh, we're almost done here, man. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but um, I do want to know um what you got planned what you're excited about for uh this upcoming season and um i know you guys talk a lot about gear at rock slide and stuff you know in conjunction with that are there any new pieces of gear you're excited about on some upcoming hunts trying out yeah yeah um zeiss just released um their sfl binocular now last summer i did um a review on their sf SF stands for smart focus. That's a line of binoculars where you've only got 1.4 turns of rotation in the focus knob. And yet it still allows you to be, to do very fine focusing. And the knob is got enough stiffness to it that it doesn't come out of focus easily when it's inside your coat. And anybody that has hunted mule deer a lot will know what I mean. That you, I just hit on a couple of things right there that, that some even great optics are lacking, you know, too, too hard to focus. And every time you pick them up, you got to refocus. So they've tried to solve that. And I think they've done a pretty good job with it, but their SF, I did their SF 32 last year. The 32 means 32 millimeter. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I, I think it's Zeiss's, um, kind of answer to Swarovski's NL. Mm-hmm. And, um, while they don't beat the NL, they do a really, they come up close to it. And I was really happy with those binoculars last summer. The only reason I don't hunt with them is they don't have a built-in rangefinder. And I am a, I am a, a, a bino combo rangefinder guy. I want okay. one because I'm not a super long range shooter. I don't need a weather station in my uh, rangefinder. <laughs> you know all that other stuff. I don't need to link up with the Hubble telescope or anything <laughs> like that. So I, I can just do a combo and, and, and be just fine with it. And so, um, but, but I, they reviewed well, they were, I, 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 I put them down as a scouting binocular or anything that a bow hunter would want to do. Cause they're small. You don't even know they're around your neck. They're, they're 21 ounces. Mm. Well, this new SFL that just came out, it stands for SF light. Mm. Okay. What it's, it's kind of strange. It's not lighter than the 32. It's actually an ounce heavier, but it's a 40 millimeter binocular. Mm. So they, 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 they beefed up the objective lens, which really beeps up your light transmission. And I've had them for about two weeks. I've still got the 32s and now I've got the 40s. The 40s are beating the 32s by almost 10 minutes in the twilight, up to oh, 10 wow. minutes. Dang. Yeah. I mean, I was 55 minutes after sundown the other night looking at um, light spots on some trees that I test binoculars on out behind the house here at 200 yards, 55 minutes where the 32s were tapping out at um, 45 minutes. Wow. And um, so, so that, that's a binocular I'm testing right now. And the best part about them, this is, this is where I'm going with all this. Those 32s are spendy, 2,500 bucks. Wow. Um, the, the SF lights are 1,800 bucks. And so far, they seem to be neck and neck with, with the 32s. In fact, Zeiss kind of outdid itself. I think, I think 
by the time I get done with this review, people will be like, man, do I buy the 32s or do I buy the 40s? I think they're going to go with the 40s myself. Yeah. Um, so there's there's that piece of gear. Um, there, there's a rifle sling that we're testing. Um, uh, I don't have it personally, but Jared Bloomgood's doing it. And the problem with a rifle sling is like a lot of times in rough terrain, you need to, you need to double sling your rifle, meaning across the chest, both shoulders, not just one shoulder. Um, um, when you're not ready to shoot, but you're hiking a lot, that's a good way to pack it. Well, mm. it's hard to get off in a hurry. You know, yeah. you, you're trying to pull it over your head. And so um, I've got two companies now that are coming on Rockside. One of them is, is, is Creative Outdoors. They're out of Montana and the other one's uh, Red Kettle. Um, they're they're uh, um, a European, or, uh, excuse me, a, um, uh, a English, UK company. Right? Yeah. yeah, you got it, dude. And they, they the, the, the rifle slings undo from the front. So they hmm. have a, a supposedly one-handed operation. I can have it double slung across me so it can even be around my pack, you know which makes it really hard to get off if it slides down over, yeah. your, over your day pack. I can just hit that, um, that clip on the front and swing the rifle around without having to put it over my head. <laughs> so those are probably the two pieces of gear this year that I'm, that I'm looking forward uh, nice. to using in mule deer. Dude, country. have you tried the SIG stabilized binoculars yet? I, I haven't, but Jordan has, and she said they work. Dude, I've, I've uh, this bear hunt I was on, um, somebody lent me a pair of the tens. I had them for 10 days. And then I've also used the 16s a little bit. Um, they're pretty money, dude. Like you can literally like pick them up with one hand and like no tripod, nothing and, and get the job done. Like it's, that, that's amazing. They're pretty like the, the optical quality on the glass, I think, or I know is not as good as a higher end, you know, binocular, but, um, just your, your, the trade-off of that stabilization. And then with the 16s, I mean, you know, like without a tripod, a 16 is almost useless for me anyway, yeah, right, right. but these things, I mean, you can just whip them out and, and go, they're pretty cool. You should check them out. I actually Dude, ordered a pair. <laughs> there, 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 there's three new frontiers in optics that we're headed for. Um, one of them is the, the lightweight, bright binocular that i just am talking about you're mm -hmm. seeing that in the swarovski um uh, nls the the zeiss um, sf lines that they're able to make a smaller binocular now that performs like binoculars did 10 years ago with 50 millimeter objective lenses big heavy you know yeah right. two two pound binoculars so so that's one frontier um the next frontier is the image stabilization you yeah. know they get that in, into an alpha glass you know that's going to be a game changer and yeah. then dude even going lighter once they start developing these plastics um, mm. and they haven't been able to do it yet, but you know, I keep hearing that it's out there to yeah. where we're going to start seeing binocular weights crash and, hmm. and, 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 and spotting scopes and stuff like that once they can develop that technology. So those yeah. are the three things I'm looking for in optics is to get, to get the, the image stabilized and to get even lighter. Yeah. And that stable stabilization thing. I mean, like, um, cause I asked the, the Zeiss guys at the expo, I was like, do you guys, you know, do this? And the guy was like, kind of like, almost like, no, of course not. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you move into that type of, uh, that type of thing, your optical, like your image quality is, is definitely decreased quite a bit. Um, and even low light is not as good. So, um, you know, I think the, the, the big guys like the Zeiss and the, you know, the Swarovskis that really take pride in their, you know, their image quality and clarity and all that, um, 
I think that's kind of why they're resisting getting into that now, but I'm sure they're probably, you know, working on something for down the road that'll not sacrifice the image quality and stuff, but still have a stabilization. That'll be exciting when that stuff comes they out. They do it in high end cameras. Why can't they do it in yeah. high end optics? You know, yeah. they've got, they've had image stabilization in high ends, uh, lenses and cameras for, you know, over a decade. For sure. And, um, so yeah, they might be thumbing their nose at it, but optics are all about trade-offs too. If I just want pure optical performance, uh, Swarovski BTX with a one fifteen. Yeah. uh, uh <laughs> that, there you go. There's your, your, the yeah. best you can do, but there, there's so many trade-offs. I mean, I almost have to have a wheelbarrow to carry it around, you <laughs> yeah. know? And so, you and know, take that, out a second that, mortgage on your house to buy There you one. go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Jody needs to get a job. And so, um, so it's always about trade-offs. So I for might sure. even give up a little bit of optical performance for some image stabilization because the yeah. reason I'm an 8X guy, the, you know, I, I primarily use 8Xs is because I have to handhold my binoculars so much when I'm hunting, not so much when I'm scouting. Oh, when man. I'm hunting, so that's why I hunt with an 8x, and guys are always shocked. But it's because a 10x is so hard to handhold. But if they, Dude, if you gotta if they try stabilize these. that image, you gotta try that, the tens, man. That away, yeah. You gotta try the tens. I would, if I were you, I, if I could try one. I mean, you could probably get both, but I would, I would try the tens, especially if you're used to an eight. Uh, you'll be amazed, man. You can pull that thing up. With, you can pull that thing up with one hand and 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 glass. It's pretty cool. Unreal, dude. Well, I'll be with Jordan this fall so at some point. Um, uh, she'll, she'll be filming, and um, uh, so I should be able to look through her. Cool. So I, sh I should be able to get my hands on them. But well, speaking but of that, real quick, this fall, what do you got? You got some cool stuff lined up. We don't know yet. Um, you know, half the thing with, with mule deer hunting, you know, with Idaho, you know, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, the, the draw dates or the draw results are not out yet. Now, of course, I'll hunt Idaho over the counter. I could right. you know, I always do that. Um, but I don't know about any other states yet. We're still waiting to hear on it. But, okay. you know, I could be as little as only in Idaho. I could be as much as Idaho, Nevada. Colorado and Wyoming. Oh, I hope not. That's just too much, but you just never know when you're <laughs> yeah. putting in, you don't know what you're going to get. So you got to kind of got to put in for, you might be uh, killing two years worth of bucks this year. I need to catch up. <laughs> That'd be cool, man. So, um, well, cool, man. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping to, ho I'm hoping to hunt, uh, well, I'm saving kind of trying to rack up some points in Wyoming, but, um, and working on a strategy here, but I'm pretty stoked to have two deer tags this year and, so I appreciate your time. That's plenty. And, you bet, dude. Yeah. Just focus on those, dude. And, and oh, um, yeah. uh, just put put your time in those. Get as much out of them. And, you know, remember, a day in mule deer country, dude, is, is a day to learn a lot. And it only comes around once a year. And so if you're getting cold and tired and it's not it's not panning out, just remember, once you get in the truck and drive back home, you're done. But if you can squeak out another day or two, you might feel your tag, but you're at least going to learn something. You know, it's not that I've never quit on hunts. I have. But I always just try to remember that, man, it's going to be a long time before I get back to this and i want to get out of it all, all that i can and, and and sometimes those end up being your best hunts you know you can turn something over when 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 you should have given up and you'll feel really good about it yeah um, that was but, that was something that i really learned hands-on on this bear hunt um you know look at you know i basically i could have shot one across canyon would have but it would have been a like just a hellacious day of i don't even want to like get into it but it Mark shot one across the river and it took us eight hours to go mm -hmm. recover that bear. And so we were yeah. trying to avoid doing that again, but looking yep. back, like I wish I had just shot that bear because it would have just been a hard one hard day in the past. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you never right. want to leave, you never want to leave stuff on the table. Like, um, I just, know. just cause of that. But yeah, you live and learn. Right. 
Yeah, that's just part of hunting, and, and that's what I mean. Is if there's if 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 you can if you can if you can grind it out a little bit longer, you never know what's going to happen. But you know, there's no shame in quitting. Sometimes you know you just got to throw in the towel. I've done that before too. But but you know, some of my best hunts are the ones where I've just stuck around and kept at kept at it and everything. Yeah, so. Well, great, dude. This has been an awesome conversation. I want to let you go. Uh, they got stuff to do. So, but thanks again. And um, where can people find your book or find find more of your stuff if they want to uh, check you out? My current, my, my both my books are on, will be on Amazon. My current book's already there. Um, cool. Just just search "Hunting Big Mule Deer" or Robbie Denning, and uh, my other book, "Hunting Big Mule Deer: The Stories." That will be on Amazon. Rules the world. I hate to say it, you they know, do. but they do. They're fast. They get everything done. That'll be the first place it's available um, in June is on Amazon, and then at some point after that, I'll have it in the I'll have signed copies in the Rockslide store. But that that's going to take a while for me to get them in and everything. So look yeah. for it on Amazon. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. I appreciate your time. And as always, it was great talking to you, brother. You too, brother. God bless your hunt this fall. Stay in touch. Yeah, man. I'll uh, Hopefully, I'll send you a picture of uh, of, of my first mule deer. <laughs> I hope so. But if, but if not, send me a picture anyways. All right. Cool. Okay, buddy. Right, brother. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye.